I was thinking through an incident that happened when I was really young, still living on Baldwin, and I was a really little girl. But I remember waking up like in the middle of the night, it was dark in the room, and I remember where my bed was situated. It was in what I we referred to as the big bedroom. So I'll have to ask my sister when in terms of timing. I don't know the years, so I don't know that what how old I was, but I remember I was young. And I know I was a little older. When I say older, I wasn't like two, three, four. Maybe I was like six, seven, um, something like that. Um, but I remember like it was the middle of the night and I remember waking up and I looked over to where the um, there was a uh, cabinet like right outside of our room. And I remember seeing a figure standing at the closet door looking for something in the closet. It was like the um, where you keep the towels and the sheets and things like that. And it was a it was like a shadowy figure trying looking for something in that cabinet. And I remember like sitting up in my bed and trying to scream, but then nothing coming out of my mouth. And so I had always, you know, and then I, I don't remember what happened. Maybe I just kind of like fell back asleep. I don't know. But I just remember seeing that figure trying to scream and then not being able to scream. And, you know, all this time, it was like, for me, as I ponder that issue in my head, I mean, it's hard for me to even think like, was it a dream or was it real? It felt real to me at that time. It felt real to me. And then I was, as I was sitting here thinking about it now, I was like, okay, so it was, it was either way, be it a dream or something real, I wasn't able to scream. And it made me think about the fact that, well, people don't try to scream. They either scream or they don't. So the fact that I remember at, remember that event as me trying to scream means that it was an unreal space. It was an, it was a realm that is, that's not physical, like similar to the one we have now. It was like, you don't try to scream. <laughs> if I wanted to scream, I would have just screamed. But somehow in this space, whether it was dream or something else, I wasn't able to scream. And I saw this figure. And to me, it seems to me like I heard movement. And that's why I woke up. But I, I can't say that for sure. All I know, the other thing that struck me is the fact that the figure did not look over at me. You know, and, when, and so for me, in terms of it, it being either a dream or something else, I was like, you know, if it were a parent, first of all, it was middle of the night. And if it, I remember the figure was tall. So it wasn't like my brother. And I, I'm like, and, and it had on a hat, which was strange because it was the middle of the night. But, you know, I um, was thinking like, if it were a parent, a parent certainly would have looked over. Like if, if they saw their child sit up in bed or they heard movement in the room, a parent would have looked over and said, hey, why are you awake or something like that. But I, I remember that the figure did not look up over, did not look over at me. It just continued to rummage through the closet, um, the linen closet, you know, where you keep your linens, towels and linens and things. And so I feel like that's what makes me when I think about that moment, I'm like, okay, a couple things. It was obviously, you know, unreal because I wasn't tried to scream, wasn't able to. And the other thing is the fact that, well, the figure didn't look over at me. 
you know, and if it were a parent or any other person in the, you know, in my life at that time, if you had a child sitting up in the in bed, they would have noticed that and said something. So that didn't happen either. So, but I vividly remember that. I vividly remember this incident. And I don't even remember if I told anybody, like, I just feel like sometimes when you're maybe as you're as a kid, when you're really young, maybe, you know, you see things all the time and, you know, it's kind of not a big deal to you as a kid. It's only, you know, you as an adult, when people tell you that things are strange, that you start saying, oh, that is strange. <laughs> and maybe you stop believing in it then. I don't know. I'm just saying it happened when I was really young. And so why did I even bring that up? I brought that up, you know, oh, I know what I was thinking. It made me think about the fact that, you know, just in trying to fictionalize some of this stuff is that it was almost like it reminded me of that scene from Interstellar, you know, when when they're in that, I forget, I don't want to pronounce the name of that thing. It's too hard to pronounce. But anyway, I was thinking it was like we were in the same space, but at a different time, you know, and I feel like that's the overlap with like so-called ghosts, apparently, is that. You, you're seeing them because it's like the, like lingering energy from a different time, you know, but in the same, you sit, you're sharing the same space. So it's like a part of their energy is still there. It's like trapped energy. I think that's what a lot of poltergeists talk about ghosts as being like trapped energy. And it's like part, there's people who can help to try to release some of that energy. That's kind of like not my space. And I feel like for me, that's kind of where I draw the line. Like I'm just really not interested in in veering into the paranormal space. But I do think that once you have access to that additional information, that other realm, um, so many other practices, like you understand the basis for them. And so you're like, if you want it to veer in that direction, you could, you realize that once you're in that space, what you see and the type of energy you interact with, the type of information you interact with is by choice. So you can either see it or not. And that's why I don't doubt anybody else's experience because what they're seeing, what they want to see, they're, they're, they're choosing what they want to see, you know? So for me, I feel like, yeah, I'm, I don't, I'm choosing not to veer into the paranormal normal space. But what I'm saying is that I do think that my, I'm trying to rationalize some of it, I'm trying to put a logical kind of like foundation to this. But I think, because if you have this additional perception, you get tired of feeling like you're crazy and people treating you like you're crazy. You get tired of people, you know, trying to portray you as doing something wrong. You know, you're, you're, you get tired of that. And so I think if you do have this extra sense, whatever it is, you're, it's like a part of you or maybe a large part of you wants to have, you, you, I don't know, you, you you want to kind of validate the practice because you know it's real like because of your own experiences you know you're not making it up you're not lying you know you know it's what you're experiencing is real i mean but it's hard to convince someone outside of yourself that you to make it up so at some point you just kind of say well i can't really cater to those people i can't really factor in those people because i know what i'm what i'm seeing is real i know it's real and you have to, at that point, kind of believe in yourself. You're saying, well, believing in yourself means that their perception doesn't, is not consistent with your own. So at some point, it kind of becomes a me or them situation. And at some point, I just feel like it's okay to choose yourself, you know, and to believe in what you know of yourself in order to live your best life.
So that's what I'm saying now. Like, okay, so let me go back to the point I should make. So I feel in some ways, whatever additional information you've been given access to, some of that foundation, I'm trying to put together like a thesis. I don't know. I think some of that, some of that foundation is established really early in childhood. And the reason I say that is because when you have one experience like that, you know, it feels real to you so that when you have another one, it, it kind of makes it seem like, oh, okay, this is plausible. And you keep going down that path such that if you're exposed to additional information, like, you know, it's real because of your prior experiences. Okay, so let me back a little bit. So there is a one recording on my podcast called The Blue Lady. And that I made that just in response to contemplating, like, when is the earliest kind of experience I've had with this other realm? And that blue lady, I won't go into it now. It's on my podcast. I will also add it to this episode so that it's easy to find. But it's called The Blue Lady. That was the earliest experience I remember. And then here just recently, maybe just today, I was thinking, maybe I started thinking about yesterday, but today I really kind of dived into it. This other experience that I had about this shadowy figure that I saw, I woke up in the middle of the night and saw this shadowy figure. So that was another one. And then also within the last couple of days, I thought about the biggest one or one of the biggest ones I've had, which I wrote about. This happened in 2010 and I'll post a link to that. So by the time this experience happened in 2010, I felt like that experience is so real to me. It's real. It happened. It happened and it felt real. And I felt like the books that I read subsequent to that experience only reinforced the realness of it. And the resource I would refer to is um, the, the, wait, it's, it's called by, it's called The Varieties of Religious Experience by William James. That book helped me tremendously in trying to understand what happened to me. That helped me a lot. There's so many other books and resources that help, but that one was um, key because I felt like it was like a deep dive into this um, other realm and talking to different people who had had similar experiences. And when you have an experience like that, I mean, it's so it's so not it's so far beyond what people would consider to be normal you you get shy about talking about it because you know people are going to think you're crazy but in your mind this really happened and so you're trying to understand like what am i going to do with this information because i know this happened so i'm going to compare it to people who see ufos in their minds, that is real. Whether or not you believe them or not, I, I think after reading the book by William James, it made me not ever question someone else's experience. You know, because it's something you can't prove or disprove anyway, so then why doubt it? I think for me, my comfort zone is not doubting someone else's experience, but I also do have limits about the type of information I want to consume. And for me, for example, I, I, I choose not to consume certain types of information because for myself and my own experience, I'm not really interested in veering into the direction of what people would consider to be paranormal. You know, I'm, I think that's beyond where I want to go. For me, I feel like 
whatever entry point I had into this realm came in the context of mental health. It came in the context of feeling like I had slipped <laughs> to the other side, you know, during what I can best describe as a mental break. And then also coming to a realization that I had to somehow think my way into, I had to think my way out of it into a, a different headspace as a matter of survival, you know, for my mind, you know? So I feel like for me, that was the entry point. I feel like that's where I'm comfortable talking about it because I can pull my own personal experience into the narrative. So that's why I feel comfortable. Other people um, talk about these types of experiences in different ways. For some people, they find, you know, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't speak to anybody else's experience. I just want to speak to mine. And I find for me, I fictionalize a lot of it because when you're talking about mental health and trauma, some of that stuff can start to feel really heavy. And so there are times when I fictionalize it. And when I say fictionalize it, like I might add characters and I might refer to different experiences using like movies or films or books as a resource or a reference. Because for me, I'm like, I, I really do, even though you're dealing with things that would be considered trauma, I don't, I mean, it's like, who wants to live in that space all the time? You know, I don't, I, I just, that's just not, I'm choosing not to. So when I say fictionalize it, I don't want it. Don't. It's like I still want to go deep and exploring, you know, these issues. But at the same time, it's like there's times when I have to add some fiction to it in order for it to not the processing of it to be a little um, easier. Not any less deep, but also too. I also don't want that trauma to consume my life. So that's why I try to have balance, um, in 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 how I um, kind of incorporate these um, experiences into my current life. Okay, I think that's all I want to say for now. Thanks for listening. All right, so I was just having a thought about um, what I referred to as my blue lady experience. I hardly ever think about this episode, so it's kind of remarkable that this imagery and is coming to me now, but I remember um, I was sitting in my uh, room and the way I was just remembering it is that, you know, I think I, I remember being really young. I remember being really young and the thought that just came to me, like I think in my mind, I've always been trying to rationalize how something like that could have happened. And, you know, I remember having as a little girl, the measles and the thought that just came to me is like, could that have been some sort of delirium associated with the measles? Like maybe having a high fever or something like that. But I just remember being in my room and seeing a blue lady at the end of my bed. It was like a aberration. I mean, it was like an outline. It was like if it looked like when I say blue, it it really had no color. It was like she was like smoke. You know, it's like she had it was like she was transparent, but I call it blue because it looks like like almost like coming out of a flame or like smoke. It was just like billowy like but it was a face I mean it was very very vividly and clearly a lady in fact she had the face of my mother so I remember when I saw her it felt comforting I remember feeling it was, she was like an angel I mean she literally looked like an angel like she was smiling at the end of my bed like I almost she was like looking at me with such adoration like that's why I felt like the energy I felt from this figure was it was my mother that's what it felt like to me it was so comforting and familiar but it wasn't like I remember feeling like 
So I was just thinking about it. I remember being really young and um, I think it potentially could have been around the time I had the measles. I'm not sure, but in terms of trying to rationalize it, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that was possibly because I had a high fever and, you know, somehow I was, you know, it was like a mirage or I was seeing things that could have been, but in the moment, it felt very real to me. I mean, I remember like I had a level of awareness as this lady was at the end of my bed. Like I had like, I knew it was like, wait, I, I didn't feel scared at all. In fact, I felt comforted, but there was no no noise. There was no sound to her. Like I knew she was like smiling and looking at me, but there was no sound. Like I couldn't. So I think my mind perceived it is not real because I remember at one point like raising up out of the bed and trying to touch her and there was nothing there. So I remember doing that and I almost feel like after that, like I, I don't remember what happened. Like I, I don't remember what happened. Like did I just go back to sleep? I don't know. Um, and then me also trying to rationalize it, like, why did I even wake up? And the thought that came to me was like, I remember being so young, like, I think I was still sleeping with the lights on. <laughs> and so sometimes when you are still sleeping with the lights on, I feel like the light, somebody turning off the lights can wake you up. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just, I don't know, like, I, I'm just recalling you know, what I was experiencing generally in that moment. And I'm thinking, you know what? I remember when the lights being turned off used to wake me up and it could have been me waking up like, wait, the lights are off because I remember the room being dark. I remember the room being like dark. I mean, it was nothing. No, no. I re very vividly remember that the light was not on. And I remember it. I remember kind of thinking it was strange that I was seeing this woman like I, it was a figure I was like wait why am I seeing this thing <laughs> this aberration right here like at the end of my bed you know and it was just like a, a moment of awareness for me like I remember just you know I was really little but I remember having this awareness and realization about this lady and so that's why I call her the blue lady because for me in that moment, it was like real. I, I don't, it didn't seem unreal to me at all. It seemed very real. I remember that moment very, very vividly. And, you know, I remember how it made me feel. It made me feel comforted, you know? And, you know, I, I think of that movie Contact, you know, whatever it was, it was familiar to me, very familiar. It had the face of my mother and it was comforting to me. I was not afraid or scared at all. And whatever that energy was, it obviously knew me. It knew me. It was me. It was me, like another aspect of myself. And so it felt really familiar and warm and you know, nurturing and familiar. And it was like a really moment. It's a moment that I remember is really, really special. And, you know, I, I, I it, so I think maybe, I don't know what made me think about that moment today. I think it's me trying to understand like where some of these feelings come from and where some of these visions come from. Um, so I think in thinking back, that's my earliest memory of having that type of, um, encounter. Okay, thanks for listening. Hmm, that was interesting. Okay, so I've just been just thoughts and ideas that have just been flooding into my head all day about this project. 
just trying to think of the right angle, how to pull this project together. There's always so there's always ideas just like floating around in my mind, and I think that's the challenge when you have this expanded view is that you have access to so much more information. You see so much more. You know, you have, you're, it's almost like, I feel like I can be inspire, inspired by so many different things. I think you begin to realize that you have like the opposite of what some artists complain about. Like you feel like I never get writer's block. <laughs> like I never am at a loss for words. And then you start to realize, oh, maybe I have too much to say. Maybe I have, maybe it start, you start to feel like I could write forever or I could talk forever. Like, and then you start to realize, but what is the real point here? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, like, I don't think any artist just paints or writes or sings or makes music. Just, I mean, I, I think it, Part of the enjoyment of it is that someone can hear it, someone can read it, someone can see it, someone through whatever your creative expression is, part of, I think, what makes it satisfying is that someone saw it, you know, it's like painting a beautiful painting, you know, within the four corners of your room, it's like part of, you're, you're painting it to express something within you. And it's almost like the circuit is incomplete until someone absorbs that, until someone ingests it, until someone else can also interact with that painting or that book or that writing or that whatever it is that you're, whatever your creative expression is. And, you know, I think about like, there are times that I, I mean, I have... I have so much writing everywhere. Like I remember that it was maybe about a year ago, over a year ago that one of my websites just crashed and I just lost all of that material. It's just gone. And then I didn't even like think about it that much <laughs> because I'm like, I've written so much. There's so much other material, just like pages and pages and books upon all everything, just everywhere. Like I have so much written already. I have so many, so much writing, like handwritten, some of it's online, you know, whatever. So I didn't even really think about, oh my God, my book is gone. I'm like, but I've at this point written so many. So, but yet I haven't published anything. I mean, I post online, but you know, I feel like I, I think, I do think that if you are an artist, I think any artist would want to live as an artist within their lifetime. You know, I thought about yesterday, for example, I was driving down the street and I saw a Tesla. And I'm like, wow, interesting. But Tesla, the man, died pretty much penniless. So he never got to experience any of the accolades he receives now, you know? And I was just thinking like, Similar, any artist Van Gogh, I mean, the list is goes on. Um, they were not known people in their lifetime. I mean, within, let's say, the artist community, like Van Gogh and Gauguin, let's say, I mean, they knew each other. I mean, other artists 
impressionist or whatever, like they kind of hung out together. But I think that in terms of, I mean, Van Gogh, a painting selling for multiple millions of dollars would, would have been unthinkable to him or anyone within his set at that time. You know, so I think that if you are an artist, I think a person who is an artist who's living their life as an artist, you start to, you feel like, oh my goodness, that's the dream. <laughs> you know, you want to experience your life as an artist during your lifetime. And in order to do that, that means you have to share your art with others. You have to share it in order to experience living your life. Because to me, living a, your life as an artist is not about, hold on. Okay, so, you know, I was saying, you know, living your artist, living, <laughs> living for an artist, living your best life, I, it's, it's not about the money, you know, it's, a, it's about being able to communicate with other people about your art and asking questions and, you know, being able to have a dialogue about it. You know, I think that to me is the appeal because after all, you created this art to express something deep within yourself. So it is, it is satisfying when you're able to have discussions with people about the art that you expressed, however you express it, be it a poem or writing a book, a novel, you know, a picture, a painting, a photograph, music, you know, a song, lyrics, whatever it is. I mean, part of what makes it an enjoyable experience is that you're able to connect with someone regarding your art. Someone, someone someone ingested your art and it resonated with them and oh my goodness wouldn't it be it, it's, it's it feels complete when someone asks you a question or you know acknowledges your writing or acknowledges your painting or acknowledge, acknowledges your art in some kind of way and so I was just thinking I'm trying to put together you know someone asked me the other day and this is kind of what prompted that thought they were like what do you really want to do like, what do you really want to do? Like, drill down and like really sit with that and ask yourself that question. Like, what do you really want to do? You know? <clears throat> so, and I think, I think if I, I had to like drill down to the core of myself and say, you know, I want to be heard. I want to be heard. I want my voice to be heard. That's it. You know, for me, I feel like when you live life from a protected place, when I say that, I'm referring to children who have experienced trauma during their childhood. I feel in some ways Experiencing trauma during your childhood puts like a protective barrier around you, your soul. It puts a protective barrier around you. And in many ways, I think that protective barrier can be interpreted as narcissism. And I think you kind of go through your life with people accusing you of being a narcissist or being conceited or arrogant, or worst, stuck up, which is a disgusting word that really, really low-frequency, narrow-minded individuals use to describe 
um, especially young girls experiencing trauma. You know, being so basic and narrow minded that they don't even understand that what may look to them like stuck upness is a child experiencing trauma. And it burns my it burns me up when I hear anyone use that word. Anyone. I will not discuss the reason why that word may in fact be my ultimate trigger word. It may be, you know? And so I feel when I hear that word, to me, that is a complete, total deal breaker for me. And I'm going to leave it there because I don't want to veer in that direction. I want to keep talking about what I was talking about, which is the creative aspect of this project. So I said all that to say, you know, I think part of what I want to do is to challenge the whole concept of narcissism, which I know is a tall order because I think that people use that word so frequently and so broadly and so loosely. And to me, I feel like it is so misused. Like I I feel that it's really easy for people to talk about narcissist and narcissism narcissism and refer to narcissistic abuse, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I think about, well, where do you draw, <clears throat> excuse me, draw the line though? <clears throat> because I know from my own experience that when children have experienced trauma, they shut down. They shut down and they push everything and everyone away. And it takes time and it takes maturity and it takes understanding for that child to learn how to integrate additional elements of life into their experience because they have put, they're basically in this protective shell that they've created for themselves, you know? And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that that actually, in many ways, was a healthy response in some cases. Because putting up that barrier allowed you to not be crushed by the experience. I call it, it's like a coconut, <laughs> coconut shell, it's like a skull. Like in many ways, it's like your coconut becomes both your protective barrier and also your, also your limiting barrier. It becomes a barrier because it protects you. All the, all the stuff inside the, inside the barrier, inside the coconut, that's like your feelings, your emotions that now are within this protective hard shell. It's like, that's your inner core. That's your inner core. And the issue is that in order to be able to relate to and connect to other human beings, well, people connect based on energy, and, and, and at the core level, people, people connect based upon how the energy they pick up as it for you, from you. It's, it's a totally energetic connection. And so when you're all bottled up, they're all, you're, you're all bottled up. It's like it's very difficult to make authentic connections with people because any, it's almost like everything you're projecting into the world is false. It's, it's not the real you. Because the real you is, is hiding. 
the real you isn't inside that protective barrier, that coconut. You're, you're in the inside of that, you know? And so I think I challenge. So, so basically what I'm thinking about, and I know this from my own experience, is that I think people who may present as narcissistic and people you label as narcissists, I think, yes, I do believe that some people cross the line. And it does become dangerous. I, I think what I am challenging is I just really challenge this. It seems to be kind of this widespread belief that it's incurable. And I just don't believe that. I just, I just don't believe that. I just don't believe that. Because for that to be true means that I would have to be forever doomed, <laughs> you know, to being trapped in that space. And I just don't accept that. And I think for me, that's when I began to explore, research and challenge this whole concept. Because I felt like, you know, I myself, once I, ab- once I was able to kind of like peel back the layers and drill, drill deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, you realize that so many people develop coping mechanisms and coping strategies during their childhood and response to childhood trauma, those same instincts that protected them when they were children, when they grow up to be adults, those same protective instincts are the very things that also cause harm to other people, potentially. You know, and it's like, it's almost like Unlearning and relearning has to occur in order for that wounded child to feel safe in this world and, and safe within relationships because all those instincts that they develop protected them then. But what a lot of times that wounded child doesn't realize that, okay, you know, you, you can come out now, you know, but I think it's, it's like I felt like for myself, I had to learn a path to do that. I had to learn how to create a pathway for myself that kind of cut through that pattern. You know, and I'll post the, the logo that I use for my business that also serves as what I call my super, it's like my shield, is my superpower and my shield because it was slicing through that pattern. You'll see in my logo, that's what that A is for, is to represent cutting the pattern, you know, um, you know, you know, moving past what people refer to as a generational curse, let's say, which I also refer to as just patterned, learned thinking. <laughs> it's a pattern, just like anything else. And, you know, if you are suffer from that, let's say, affliction, I feel like what I have always wanted to do, what I had to do for myself and the information I wanted to share with others was, okay, how do you think yourself through that. You, you basically are, are in a condemned space because everyone in the world is calling you a narcissist, right? Everyone is looking at you and they're calling you, they're saying you're selfish, self-centered, you know, whatever. They, they refer to you as having low self-esteem. They refer to you as a narcissist, all those things. Just add them all in there. And, you know, you don't think of yourself to be those things. So as far as I'm concerned, how dare they condemn you that way? Talk about judgment. You know what I mean? 
not only have you judged, you have condemned. You've condemned a person to basically saying you're incurable. And my point is, who are you? (laughs) How dare you say that? How dare you say that about another person, another human being? How dare you? So that's why I just challenged that whole notion of narcissism. I believe that the vast majority of people who are labeled narcissists are wounded children who are still in their coconut. They're still living in the, in the inside of the coconut, that they still have their protective shell when the rest of the world is on the outside, but they are looking for a safe path. They're looking for a safe path to come out of that so that they can, you know, you know, live, you know, feeling like what, like the protection that they weren't given as a child, they created their own coping strategies. Those same coping strategies are not serving them well in adulthood. And it seems like all of their relationships are doomed in some kind of way. Who would want to live like that? You know what I'm saying? Like, who would want to live their life? No one. No one would want to live like that. And so I would say that the vast majority of people you just broadly and liberally labeled narcissists, it's like, what, you know, some of these people are just still hurting. I mean, they were hurt when they were children. They still feel hurt. It stunted their growth and they're looking for a way to return to a semblance of life, some semblance of normalcy. But because people just so just flagrantly label people, you know, who are displaying signs of self-protectiveness, we so just easily labeled, put this label on them, it prevents them from getting the help that they need. It, it, it really does. So I just wanted to talk through that. So that's, that's really what this project about is about. And I have just really here recently, it's just been like really <laughs> just so many people are just almost like begging me to like write about it. And I'm like, I have, I've written about it. I've written about it like incessantly for years now. But I think that's, there's a difference between writing and, you know, uh, let's say you, you have to, at some point as an artist, you, you have to create a path to share whatever your art is. There is a pathway to be able to share that art with others. And I'm still trying to figure that out. You know, I'm still trying to figure out, well, what is going to be the best forum for me to do that? And so that's kind of where I am right now. And I'm just kind of like trying to devote time now and, you know, beginning now and for however long it takes for me to just to really figure out how best to share whatever information I've learned along that path with others so that it can be the most helpful to the most people possible. And I think that's really what I want. I mean, I just, I just want to, I feel like, you know, I started at a pretty unfortunate space mentally, emotionally, you know, and I think that I had a blind spot. I had a blind spot regarding my own behavior, my own patterns, my own emotions. I, ha- I had a blind spot. And somehow, some way, that blind spot was lifted. And I was able to gain access to a, com- a whole nother realm, I describe it as. It felt like, oh, there's all this other information out there. Information that I somehow previously didn't have access to. It felt like to me. 
it felt like to me, because I'm stuck inside my, my shell, my coconut, I'm thinking that's all there is. But then I felt like somewhere along that path, I was able to not be afraid of my own emotions or I wasn't afraid. I wasn't living in that cave anymore thinking that I don't trust anyone in the world. Everyone's, everyone's a danger, you know, because I'm stuck inside my coconut. Somehow, some way, I was able to create a path for myself that allowed me to come out of that shell. And I used my carousel logo to describe that process because that is, like I said, I, I call it my, it's like a visual reference to what I believe is a, um, a very challenging uh, path to take in order to kind of like go to the core of your own trauma and to really unpack it and to try to put it into a different perspective um, and using that additional perspective in your current life in your current life, using that expansive and expanded view to help you make better decisions now. And for me, that's really the ultimate objective of this project. And I am just putting that energy out there and just really just whatever comes back, I'm just trying to find a best pathway to do that so that that message reaches as many people as possible and helps as many people as possible. Okay, thanks for listening. So I would say beyond this point is what I would consider to be the the project um, that we are now calling, I mean, I'm just going to say beyond the matrix and I'll ask the other person to state the name that they feel comfortable stating for their concept of the project right now. And so I would say that for the next episode, it would be two voices, myself and one other person. And I feel like I just want to, I'm contemplating whether or not an NDA should be required before proceeding past this point. I just feel like if it's not an NDA, it needs to be like some type of like send an email to our like intake box or something. Because I just feel like I wouldn't feel comfortable just like having these discussions, you know, with with the um, the that would include other people or right now just one other person until there was some type of like validation and pro- like there has to be like send an email or something you know so I feel like if you are interested in hearing other episodes of with the, the two-way discussions I feel like send an email to You can send the email to telepath, T-E-L-E-P-A-T-H, telepath at carousel.one, C-A-R-O-U-S-E-L dot O-N-E. So that's telepath at carousel.one. If you are interested in hearing other episodes that along this trajectory, there'll be other episodes, but along this trajectory, send an email if you want to hear 
other episodes. Okay, thanks for listening.